Welcome to Sober Solutions. We are a weekly recovery podcast, not affiliated with any particular 12-step or recovery program. However, you may hear us mention them. My name is Jason, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic and addict. My name is Ben. I'm an alcoholic and addict. And welcome back to Sober Solutions Podcast. Tonight is episode 30. We are going to be talking about people, places, and things. And to kick us off tonight, Ben, why don't you share what you have on people, places, and things? People, places, and things. When I heard that in rehab, I didn't, I understood the concept, but I didn't know how to apply it to my own life because the hallmark of my addiction, as I've said many times on this podcast, is that I was... I didn't run with anybody. I didn't, you know, it, it was just me. I was an isolation drinker and I drank all the time because I didn't want people to know. And so I didn't have this, this group of friends that would be bad influences for me. And so I understood the concept of people, places and things, but going back to the same setting, well, I shouldn't say that because I didn't go back to the same setting. I went back to my parents' house. Um, you know, so so the place was kind of changed for me. So I didn't really have a choice. You know, my wife didn't want to stay married. And so there was no way to work that out in, in the house. And, you know, I kind of, you know, getting a little bit of time and being able to look back and kind of, you know, digest and process what that was. You know, I, I think that that probably stopped me from relapsing or drinking because that would have been an environment where I would have gone back in armed with the knowledge of rehab and really not yet have found a, a program of recovery. And I probably would have tried to control everything I probably and and I I think I, I could have very easily fallen back into my manipulative ways um, where it not, it was just about me and the uh, and I and I, I yeah I it's interesting because I've never really expanded on it I've thought about it but I've never expanded on it um, talking to anybody and yeah, I, I I think that the the people didn't have didn't have changed for me. The things were changed for me, and the places were changed for me. And that's I know that's not common in, in a lot of people's stories. So I have a question for you. So you know sometimes the people in our lives are those closest to us, like our family. Did you see any triggering moments from when you went back to go live with your parents? Because I know for me specifically, my father, who was my biggest enabler, but also my biggest supporter, was also one of my biggest triggers. And after I got out of rehab, he came and stayed with me. And at first, I thought that was going to really set me off. And I think the work that I did in rehab helped me see his perspective much more clearly than I had before. So the two weeks that he stayed with me, 
I was able to really start to build a new relationship with him. But I know family is a huge trigger for a lot of people. Did you see anything like that when you were with your parents or even in the communications that you were having with your ex-wife by phone call or text? Yeah, so that actually, the the, the communications with my ex-wife were a much bigger trigger than my parents because I came back and they were still in shock. And, you know, if if, if people have listened to the episode with my uh, with with our moms in a couple um, episodes ago, and the you know it was everybody was just shell shocked. So like there wasn't, and I think and I think we all recognized that like we were in uncharted waters, and so there was kind of that camaraderie where everybody was very careful. Nobody drank around me for a couple of months. Um, nobody, you know, the. Uh, like I think my mom said it on the on the on that episode where she was like, I tried to make it as easy as possible. Um, so not so much with the family, but with with the communications with my ex-wife, that was I immediately dove back into all of the bad just habits and just like uh, just everything that that I could have done to try to to just manipulate and control and and try to get you know, my way, um, it was, I was doing all of those things. And then it, like, it was just this slow process out of that where it would happen less and less and less to the point now where we have like an amazing relationship that's based in friendship where like it, th- that we, that thing just, that communication just doesn't, ex- that attitude really for me doesn't exist anymore. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to even say or do things that people could, that she could take the wrong way because for so long it there was this underlying tone of like, Oh, what is he trying to get away with? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's, that's what, you know, you, I mean, sure you boys remember I texted you that Saturday morning and it was that like that whole week was me tr- trying to convince her via text and phone call that it was going to be, that it was going to be different because I was still trying to save my marriage. I was still trying to get back home. And, uh, and yeah, so that was, that was a big, big trigger that I yeah, I probably hadn't thought about it. So as soon as you said it, it, like a light bulb went off, like, Oh God, I remember that. So I think you were pretty lucky. And, and I had the similar experience of, you know, no one was drinking around me one, well, one, because I was at my house, my dad was here. He knows not to drink around me or chooses not to drink around me. Um, and I was going to meetings all the time because I, I was able to take FMLA and have time off work. So I was in this little bubble. Um, Chris, did you experience anything? You know, I know you have a, a busy household. Um, you know, did you experience any of those people, places and things that would trigger you or kind of knock you off the beam a little bit? Yeah, so I would say that the people, places, when I think of people, places, and things, it's really about avoiding certain situations in order to not feel the same emotions that brought you to drink or drug. And, you know, you can avoid um, places, you can drive down different streets, you can avoid people, but sometimes the getting to that emotional state will lead you to drink or drug. And what I found is, you know, as far as people, uh, I would say most of my friends 
were are just not my friends anymore. Uh, our friendships were based around alcohol and drugs. And even though we were truly friends, um, you know, we, we just went in different paths. But as far as my busy household, what I found is that it was situational that brought me to get those, you know, I would say hiccups uh, in the feelings and the emotions back. So some something that always led me to use in the past was being overwhelmed and I want to take on the world. And so, you know, whether it's at work or at home or wherever, I take on more than I can handle. And there's no way to avoid that unless you are just completely emotionally intelligent and can recognize that within yourself. And I'm not at that point yet. So sometimes I do get that feeling, that urge where at home, you know, I have the kids screaming, I have the food on the, you know, the food uh, cooking, and then I have laundry to do and I have this and underlying in all of that, I have work that I'm thinking about and that that brings me to my people, places and things because that brings my emotions back to the old state. And that's when I have to call somebody. I have to go to a meeting. I have to um, meditate, you know, really get out of that state. I totally understand that. And, you know, the thought that was going through my head as you were talking was there's only so much we can do to avoid or eliminate the people, places, and things in our life. But the one person that will always be around us is ourself. And we'll always have the alcoholic or addict mindset, even as we continue to get sober. You know, as we get to our year, as we get to 15 months, as we get to 18 months and two years and, and we keep going, we'll still have those thoughts. So I'm interested to know, what do you guys do when you have those thoughts, either in the moment or right afterwards where you know I really have had these thoughts and I need to move past them? What I, what I personally do is, you know, I, I say this a lot, but I talk to people and you, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said we, we are our worst own enemies. You know, you were saying that we're always with ourselves. And left to my own devices, I will make a bad decision. I'll probably say something wrong or do something wrong. But if I consult the masses, if I go to the meeting of the minds and I actually talk about my issue, I'm intelligent enough to pick up on the, you know, the one tidbit that I agree with Jason on, the thing that Ben said, you know, the thing that Matrix said, this person, that person. And when I put all that I come to what is usually a good decision and what is usually through talking with people, you know, I get out of that, that rush, 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 go, 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 and making a quick, uh, in wrong decision. What do you, what do you do, Jason? <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think you're, you're right in the sense that if I have the ability to get to a meeting, I get to a meeting. But that self-reflection is really important as well. You know, I work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. We have a step on there that is this daily inventory. 
And so I've trained myself that if I have those thoughts, if I find myself around people, if I find myself in a place that, you know, I was, I was walking around Philadelphia uh, a couple days ago and it was like, oh my gosh, I used to get fucked up here. Like I just process it and then make sure that that thought doesn't linger in my brain. You know, I tell someone right away. So if it's not at a meeting, I call someone in my phone and that has, or even text them. And if I text, if I text someone that like, Hey, I just passed a hotel that I used to visit quite frequently for very nefarious, uh, evenings, I typically get a, a response back from the one or two people that I messaged saying, hey, I'll call you in a couple minutes or do you need to talk or something like that. So I've built this network of support and communication. And I think that's the biggest thing that I do. We've actually, you know, you might get a call back, but I think also that holds you accountable. And we've sent each other text messages like that but in a more joking manner. So I don't think it always, I think, you know, some people listen to us or people in the program and they think it's so serious, but 99% of the time we are joking around with each other, but it's to get out of our own heads. And, you know, you might pass a hotel, you know, because of not quote unquote, non-Christian reasons and text or call someone, but it might not be as serious and we might laugh and joke about it, but at the end of the day, it's helping you. I a hundred percent agree. And I think that I need that levity in my recovery. If I can't joke about a stupid thing I've done when I'm drunk or a fucked up situation I put myself in when I was high or something like that, or a trigger of mine, you know? I mean, like, there are times where me and my friends are walking around the street or we're talking about something and someone will yell, trigger! And we start laughing because we know that if I'm not laughing, I'm crying, you know? And and this isn't a death sentence. I've heard this so many times since getting sober this time and before, but I didn't get sober to be dull and boring and, you know, solemn all the time. You know, I, I, I want to live my life and humor is a huge part of my life. The, um, the thing that that reminds me of, uh, I've heard in the room many a time is we're not a glum lot and you know, it's just, I can't, I don't, it, this, I don't want this to sound the wrong way. I don't take myself too seriously in my recovery while taking it like extremely seriously. Like it's the most important thing in my life. But if I can't have some level of self-deprecation about it, then, then I just become this walking pariah and like, I don't want that. Like, it's just not, it just, it, if, if I am going to choose to, you know, identify as, as having a disease, then like, what am I, I, what am I going to, why do I want to be solemn about recovering from it? You know, like, you know, a a cancer patient that's cancer free after, you know, 
chemo treatments, tweets that stuff out and is like, hey, look at this. This shit's awesome. Like, and so for me, it's the same thing. Like, this, this shit is just awesome. I don't, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not going to, you know, walk by a bar and be like, oh, I can't, I can't look your way. No, it, it's like, <laughs> been messed up in there a few times. <laughs> and like, if it is what it is, you laugh and you move on because like Jason said, this isn't a death sentence. This isn't the end of the world. Like, just don't, I just don't take myself that seriously because it's, it's not that big of a deal if you just don't pick up. And, and that's the point. That's one of the two points that I was I was thinking about. You know, it's not the end of the world. It's not a death sentence as it relates to recovery. Because when I was actively using, hell yes, it was a death sentence and it was the end of the world. But now that I'm in this world of recovery, it's not those things. The other thing that I wanted to mention is I remember I was working at a healthcare organization in New York City and... I, at the time, I was working in the hematology oncology, the pediatric hematology oncology division. So little kids with cancer and, and blood, blood diseases. And I was doing my rounds and I walked down into the infusion center and almost every single time she was there getting treatment, this little girl would ride up and down the hallways on her chemo pole. And just getting her her um, treatment, you know. And if she could do that, I can do this. If she can come up to me and say, hey, Mr. Jason, how are you today? With a big smile on her face, I can do anything. And every time I get to that point, because, you know, I'm almost 15 months sober. Ben, you're almost 15 months sober. We, we have had these roller coasters of emotions and there are days where I'm just like, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore. Or it'd be so much easier not to have to go to a meeting or call my sponsee or call my sponsor, or go, you know, do things. And then I remember that little girl. And inevitably, in that moment, that second, I'm reminded that it could be a lot worse. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that. No matter what I say is nothing to uh, live up to that story. So I'll, I'll circle back to uh, people, places, and things. Um, when I left recovery, you know, you have this sense of uh, being reinvigorated. You're like restored and you come out of there and I feel like you ride this high. And I do want to stress that uh, avoiding people, places, and things, I would say an early recovery is very important. I remember the first time that I went to a wedding after my first stint in rehab, and it was like two days later. And granted, I was not, you know, in a mental state. I wasn't ready to give up yet. I wasn't um, where I am today. But I literally was just, I went out and the second I saw people partying, having fun, doing this, that, and the other, my mind went straight to, you know, I'm definitely participating. I don't have to, you know, I basically forgot about the month in rehab. Like it was nothing. Like that was, you know, in my past, I never had to think about that again. And this time, 
we did avoid certain uh, situations. We did avoid certain family parties, at least in the beginning. And I slowly introduced myself back into uh, the world. And I still don't uh, go to bars. I don't, you know, obviously COVID exists, but I'm very selective in what I do. And when I do do those things, I make sure that I have a plan if I do feel uncomfortable. I make sure that I have somebody to talk to. And yeah, like I said, I have a plan in case uh, it goes awry. It's, it's an excellent point. And what I was thinking about is I have this wedding coming up over Halloween weekend. And, you know, the guy, the guy or one of the guys who's getting married uh, knows that I'm sober and allowed me to bring a plus one and have that be a sober companion. You know, so I'm bringing one of my buddies who's also sober and, you know, that's part of my plan. I know and he knows and the guy who's getting married knows that if I need a bounce, I need a bounce and I'm just going to leave. You know, it's not going to be, hey, I think I need to go and like make this whole production about it. It's just I'm going to go. Um, the other thing that you were talking about was this is a serious thing. And I, I liked how you emphasized that it's, it's appropriate to avoid certain people and certain things. And what I think I heard you talking about, maybe you didn't say this specifically, was if you have motives to be around those things or to be around those people you know, positive, good, sober motives, then, you know, you need to be around those people, places and things. But what kept playing in my head as you were talking was, I'm not going to put myself in situations that I know or could, I know could be dangerous for me. You know, like, I'm not going to walk down a dark alley at two o'clock in the morning on a street I don't know, with my cell phone and my keys and my wallet in my hand, because... I don't know what's at the end of the alley. So why would I walk down the end of the alley? Now, if my car is parked down there, I have a good reason to be there. But if it's not, I have no business being there. The, um, yeah, I think it really just comes down to since your motives. Like the, um, this past uh, August, um, or uh, Labor Day weekend it was, um, out of, my fantasy football draft been hosting this league's been going on 15 years now and and uh you know because i'm a huge sports fan which i'm not sure if you guys recall but you know it it so i the draft day was like the day it was like christmas like for for me like it was like it my 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 wife knew like we made sure the girls were at, at my parents house like this was start drinking at nine o'clock and just it's it was just a full-on shit show and i mean for me everybody else is just normal um but so you know last year we didn't really i just got out of rehab and we so we just kind of did it online and um so this was the first year kind of hosting it again and i told guys i was like listen I was, and just being completely straight up with them and and this is really where the having people good people in your life that are looking out for you um, that it, I, like 
they wouldn't they wouldn't let me drink even if I tried to. Not that I was going to, but I told them I was like, listen, you guys want to drink? Be my guest. You know, BYOB. Like, but I just whatever. Like, and I just. I couldn't have cared less about it because I had so much fun with the six or seven guys that were here that it was just like, you know. I had so much fun and it the booze didn't matter. It just didn't matter at all because it wasn't about that. And, you know, Jason, just to circle back to what you were talking about uh, with the weddings. Um, the funny thing is, is that, you know, it's awesome that your friend is, is, is going ahead and making, you know, making sure that you're uh, comfortable and all that stuff. But like, it's really a classic us making this about us. Like, because on his wedding day, he's not going to give two shits what time you leave. Not going to care at all. Like, and, and, but it, it, it's, but that's one of those great situations where, where you have somebody that is a good person to have in your life that considers you, makes you comfortable. And, you know, you can still do all of your other steps now in terms of, you know, having somebody to call, being, having, you know, having a, a, you know, a, a get out strategy. Um, and, but at the end of the day, like, it's not going to be about, you it's anybody but you and then when you get there you realize hey this shit's all good this is a great time and and yeah it's just it's just funny when you said that i'm like man this is this is it just but that's just what we do i think that's just a hallmark of the of addiction just making it about ourselves and then once we realize it's like oh it's actually not about us we're actually not the center of anybody else's universe and that's okay that's actually, it's way better to not be the only, to think that you're the only thing that matters. Uh, ben, I don't know if that's true because I am the most important thing in the universe. <laughs> says, at, least, set, at least in my universe. Says every addict, <laughs> addict and alcoholic. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, this episode started around people's people, places, and things. And I think, you know, obviously in rehab and they teach you to put everything in those three buckets. And like I said in the beginning, I think if you leave uh, a rehab or you go to a detox and you go right back to seeing the same people, uh, you go to the same places, take out like drugs and alcohol, you're going to get emotionally back to the exact same point in your life. So you have to change stuff in order to not get to the same emotional state. So those things are doing the steps or another working another program. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is not feeling the same way I felt prior. Like you can you cannot drink that day. You cannot drug that day. But if I feel the same way, if I have the same resentments, if I have the same fears, if I have the same, you know, anger that I used to have, I'm going to use. But if I work the steps, if I talk to people, if I try to be a better person, I'm not going to be in the same emotional state. Yeah. But Matrix, I want to I want to share a, a story um, about a great example of guarding against that. Um, and if you absolutely 
hate it, then we'll just cut this out. But uh, Major called me a couple couple days ago uh, about an old friend who had reached out, and he told me he was sober, and he's like, "Yeah, man, that's cool. Let's grab lunch or whatever." It was it was a group. Of, the, 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 that person was the problem. It was a group, the group of friends that that they all used to run with. They still party hard, and but it was such a you know a beautiful thing to watch somebody in recovery have that that level of maturity to understand that okay listen this one person is probably not going to be an issue for me i can probably have a relationship with this one individual but there's this other group of people that might be an issue and you know it's you know it becomes about having even just saying that stuff out loud about you might have to cut certain people out you might have to decline invitations you know, and and if this one individual says, "Hey, you know what? Come on, let's go hang out with the boys or whatever," and you say, "Nah, you know what? It's not a great idea for me." One, that person, if that person gets in his feels about it and is pissed off at you, then it wasn't worth your time anyway. But but two, just just being able to talk about that stuff, and I know people listening are probably like, "Ah, it's not that may not be a big deal," but like when for me the hardest thing in the world was to ask for help, like. That is when we when we call another addict or someone in our network or our sponsor, we're asking for you know help. We're, you know we're asking for guidance. What would you do in this situation? And again, we could always give suggestions, whether or not they're taken. But usually, once you ask for help, everything just becomes a a, a, a it just becomes easier because it relieves that anxiety of oh my god, what's this going to be? What's this going to be like? How's, and instead of somebody from the past wants to reach out, I shared that I was sober with them and you know what, we're going to get lunch and that's it. And, and so that, that was just the, I, w- I wanted to, you know, make sure that our, cause the three of us do plenty of talking about our own recovery. And, you know, I want to make sure that, that the man behind the scenes gets, gets some props because it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. I was just going to say the man behind the curtain is getting exposed now. You know, Jason, you mentioned prior that your dad, although he was your biggest advocate, was also one of your biggest triggers. And, you know, Ben, you're mentioning uh, there might be certain people that you have to cut out. And a lot of the therapists in the past have told me, you know, you might have to cut out family. I mean, I think you guys were there when the therapist basically told me, oh, you might have to leave your wife and go, you know, mm-hmm. you guys were there for that whole uh, slight disagreement. Oh, the, but uh, uh, you, you might have to go to sober living. Yeah, yeah. you told me I have to go yeah. halfway. Uh, but anyway, I guess my question to you guys is where do you fall on that? So like, for example, Jason, you know, you have your dad being your biggest advocate and he's your biggest trigger. So how did you handle that, I guess, specifically? So what I did was I drew boundaries with him right away. So if we started to get into one of those old arguments, and most of the time when we argued, it's over stupid, stupid stuff. And when I felt myself starting to get agitated, I would say, listen, I'm starting to get agitated. I'm going to go hang out in my room for a little while. Let him have the whole living room. Let him have his space. I had my space. And we were able to have that communication. Um, 
I was also talking about it a lot. I was acknowledging the fact that this was a possible trigger for me for anger or resentment or frustration. And the more that I talked about it, especially with my sponsor, because at meetings, you know, people listen and it's, it's wonderful. But when I was talking to, to my sponsor about it, he would be able to coach me and give me direction and suggestion on what do you think about this? And what he really did was, how do you think he feels? And had me start thinking about everything from his perspective. So all of that to say, have your own space, whether that's in uh, uh, sober living or back in the house that you grew up in or back in the house that you're there with your family or wherever it is, have that space for you because especially coming right out of rehab, I was in this little bubble. I was just coming off of this, <laughs> this is a bad pun, but that high of being in rehab, you know? And so I was dedicated and I was really gun ho about it. And I didn't want to lose that because of some stupid argument about, I don't know what, the dogs eating out of the wrong bowl or, you know, them chasing the cat or like some stupid shit. So I was able to breathe and we heard Quint talk about this, the pause, and that's what it was really about. It was that pause. The other thing was, so, you know, have your space, use the pause, um, acknowledge, acknowledge it and talk about it. And then also be reflective. So I had to really look at my part in his frustration my part in his anger, my part in his worry. And once I did that, I was able to really practically list out every single stupid argument that we had and how I was a part in it. And it was because I wasn't listening. I was trying to be right. I was trying to get my way. I was trying to, you know, say what I needed to say without actually allowing him to. So I was able to do all of this work on my side of the street and really not even talking about an amends yet, but really being able to look at what I needed to do to make the relationship better. And so that's what I really, that's the journey that I took right out of rehab with him living with me for a, a couple months. That's great. I'm actually also interested and I feel like it's going to be a similar yet different answer. Um, how you handled your ex-wife then. And I, I don't say handled in like, you know, how you manipulated, but you guys have a good relationship now from what I've heard and how you got basically straight out of rehab, rehab to this point with her and through that journey didn't get triggered. Or you might have gotten triggered many times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I got triggered a number of times, you know, in, in, during our interactions, especially early on. Um, and it probably, it, it, it still happened all the way up till probably April or May. There was, um, there was, a, I forget what it was about, but I, I, we started going back and forth via text. Um, and it, 
I think the thing for me was that I was so, like, so set that I was not going to drink, especially early on, because it had literally turned my life upside down, and I was back living at my parents' house and being an impact learner, like, oh, my God, like, there's... The, the, my mentality at the time was there's one thing that got me to this spot and it was drinking. And then what happened was over time, the, the, I got farther and farther away from the last drink and those things weren't changing. So it forced me to work my program and share about it, be honest. And, and, and so like how I dealt with that was not very well at the beginning. Like, there, it, there were phone calls and text messages uh, and, and hangups and don't call me back. And, and you know, I, it, it, I think the thing that I really kind of realized now is that, like, the additional crap that I put her through because, one, I was coming out of rehab, and, two, we still had our daughters to consider. So it was like... Well, how do I not, you know, from her, I, I don't think I should project that actually, but like I can, I can envision a scenario where she's not wanting to deny her daughters, their father, but I'm still this impossible person to deal with. And so, yeah, it, it wasn't, I didn't really do, set the boundaries. It, it's funny. Let's see, Jason, you did all of the work that I should have done and because I was removed from that situation of being in my house and exposed to my ex-wife, I, I didn't have to set boundaries because she set the boundaries when, and when she would hang up and be like, no, I'm done talking. She wouldn't respond to a text message. And I was like, okay, boundaries set. And so but that, that, um, that space to process is so important and so crucial because the emotions that, that I went through coming out of rehab, they were all over the place, you know, and I, you just needed time to, I just needed time to be alone and just kind of sit with it, whatever it was like, you know, meeting a new girl or leaving my daughters for the first time. Like, like those, you talk about two opposite ends of the spectrum, but they both, I needed to experience them in a sober uh, mindset. And, and so yeah, it, it it's it wasn't easy, uh, and I and again you know, this, this is why I love these these kinds of episodes where we kind of go into it with a topic and just let it spin spin around because I had never really talked about or thought about this stuff in any great detail because probably because I'm I'm a selfish bastard because I'm an addict but that's neither here nor there, um, but yeah no it, it it just no nobody. I think that's why they, you know, all the guests we have, they just say, be patient with yourself, take it easy, be easy on yourself, take it slow, no big decisions in the first year, because you're literally trying to figure out who you are, what you've been through, what you're going through. And you can't do that if you're continually trying to throw yourself back into your previous life, because, you know, it's going to end up the same way. If you, if nothing changes, nothing changes, I believe. I've heard once or 3000 times in rehab. Yeah. I really like that. You said I was getting further and further away from my last drink and nothing changed. And I can relate to that a lot. I mean, 
you know, if you don't change your behaviors, nothing, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Um, and to be patient, that's so true because you are discovering the person you'll be and you're maturing so fast. Like we had, we were emotionally toddlers when we got out of rehab and we're, we're going through all this maturity, but like in a span of a year and you get to this point where you get to this whole like point of serenity or whatever. And to end the people, places and things, um, just quick story last week at work, I, I, I haven't been so vocal about my recovery. Like some people I hang out with. Um, and that's not like a right or wrong thing. And I don't think I'm trying to avoid the conversation. I do talk about it if it gets brought up sometimes, but at work, they were all going out for drinks and they were, um, going to a bar. They literally just said, we're going out for drinks. We're going to a bar. And I said, no, it's okay. And they said, Oh, you know, you can just come with us next week. And I, I just blurted out and I said, no, I'm in recovery. I'm not going to join this. And I kind of love that I said that because the, so that was, I might've said last week, that was two weeks ago. And then last week they went again and they just said, Hey, I just want to let you know that we're going to go to a bar again. Uh, don't want you to feel left out. But then they said, Hey, next week, instead of the bar, we talked about it. We're going to go to top golf. So I do like that. I do have people at work that are, um, self-aware enough that that would make me uncomfortable. But what I, what I love most is I don't have to explain myself every single week or come up with an excuse or make, you know, it's basically like this lie I would have to make up every week. So I'm glad I'm at that state where it's just out there. Yeah. It just speaks to, again, it's that maturity that I was, you know, I was given uh, matrix kudos for it and, and you deserve kudos for it too, because it's, you know, it's just, it's an easy thing to just keep lying about it. Like we're really easy at just continuing to lie and we can make, ah, no, I got this. And then I got this and we can make up a, an excuse real quick and that everybody will understand. And, but then like nine weeks in a row, they're like, okay, how many soccer games does this guy's kid have? Like, that's just not it. it and, but sort of recognize it and, and really just break that ice is, and, and I, and I love that they then, turned and they obviously talked about it and said oh and you, you know what let's go to top golf so that chris can join like because some of my sponsors said to me when i transitioned to this new job and i said look there's probably gonna be lunches and dinners and you know how do you handle that in recovery do you tell people like what do you do and and he just said no you know i don't, I don't really tell people but if if you know if it gets to that point i have no problem sharing that with somebody and it goes 99% of the time people respect the hell out of it. People respect sobriety because it's something that, you know, I think is as the stigma breaks down, people look at it and say, he's choosing to do something to better himself. And that could be anything. If you're backwards, you go to a chiropractor. If you, if you're an addict, you, you choose recovery. It's just about making yourself a better person. And that's, you know, as, as you have those experiences, I, I mean, for me, I, I talk about my recovery at work, you know, to just about anybody who 
wants to know. I mean, it was one of those things I couldn't really avoid it. I was gone for four months and after being there for 16 and a half years, and it was, you know, it, every rumor under the sun I came back to that, you know, it, it just, it, it, it's a whole nother story. But, you know, it literally, it for me, it, it, I, I wasn't really, again, it was one of those things, I didn't really have a choice. I couldn't pretend to lie about it. I, it was just so much easier to be honest, say, hey, listen, this is where I'm at. And if you're not good with that, if you if we're like then we weren't friends to begin with, so oh well, like I'm good. Like I got more friends now than I ever had before. So you know, it's it's one. It's, I think it's another example as we wrap up here. You know, it's another example of it's never as bad as we think it's going to be, because we're we're just sometimes we're drama queens. Am I right, Jason? Absolutely, hundred percent. And the thing I'll end on tonight is we were talking about people, places, and things that may cause us to want that old life of ours. But as we travel this road of recovery, we begin to develop new people, places, and things that support our recovery. And that's what we're aiming at. So excellent episode tonight, guys. Thank you so much for the conversation on this. I hope it resonated with our viewers. And as always, each and every episode is dedicated to the still sick and suffering alcoholic and addict, especially the individual who's going to pick up for the first time tonight. Have a good night, guys. Have a good night. Good night. We appreciate your liking and subscribing to our podcast. If you liked what you heard today and would like to support our podcast, feel free to Venmo a dollar to our virtual basket at Sober Solutions Podcast. We want to hear from you too. If you have a comment, question, topic, or would like to come on the show, find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Sober Solutions Podcast. Or you can shoot us an email to SoberSolutionsPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show.